this week, we start our brand new series called Purple, where we're going to be spending four weeks talking about sex with our teenagers and with our parents. And before we get going this week, I want you to watch a quick video from Inside Edition. Michael and Anne have been dating for two years, and after their first date, they ended up at a McDonald's. So Michael decided to return to that exact same McDonald's drive-thru to propose to his girlfriend. Not only was Anne shocked, we also don't think Michael really expected her to react this way. (laughs) You're not, you're not, you're not serious. You can't do it, you can't. Dude, it's not. Say, say something. It's not what you do. No, no. Michael tells Inside Edition that he asked the fast food chain for permission ahead of time. He even practiced with them the night before. I can't marry you. What do you mean you can't marry me? You just asked me on a bun? I mean, I had them all. Everyone was in. Every, like, I even called your dad. They knew. Everyone knew about this. Michael knew she would never expect him to ask the big question in the car at a McDonald's drive-thru, and he thought it would be a wonderful surprise. Hey, what's wrong? What? Why? Say something. Believe it or not, he says they're still together, but not getting married just yet. While some people think this could be a viral hoax, Michael tells us that it was all real. You know, there is nothing wrong with McDonald's. Some people might argue that fact, but really when asked the question of why in an instance like this, like, like why would you go to McDonald's if you've got, if you've got small kids that want a Happy Meal and a, a toy, that's, that's your why. McDonald's is a great option for that. If you've got small kids and you're looking for a playground for them to play on, McDonald's answers that why we're going out and why we're choosing this restaurant. If you're a senior citizen and you're on a fixed income and you need to, to keep things cheap, McDonald's is a great answer for that. But if you're looking for a, a steak cooked on an open grill, the thin line of pink in the middle. McDonald's isn't, isn't your place. And so there's nothing really wrong with McDonald's. It's all about why you want to go. If, if you want to go for a, a quick, fast meal, McDonald's is great. If you want to go because you don't, like, like, you don't like life and want to die at the age of 53, then McDonald's is a great place to go. But if you want to find a romantic place to ask the love of your life, for her hand in marriage, if that is your why of where you're going, McDonald's is not the place for that. So the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about sex. And, and really, our hope is that it is, it is more than a 30-minute conversation that we have on, on a Wednesday night with students. Hope that it's more than a 50-minute small group experience where they get to debrief it. We, we hope that it becomes this culture inside your home, inside our students' small groups with their mentors where they have adults that they can talk to about sex. Because everybody, everybody's talking about sex. It's in the music we listen to. 
fact, as, as students come in on a Wednesday night or even on a Sunday morning, we've got music that's played over the loudspeakers. There's several secular songs. There's some Christian songs. There's a country song in the mix. And we, we take those songs based on what are the top about seven songs on iTunes. And we go through and look at lyrics to make sure that we're, we're not playing music that has to do with people drinking or doing drugs or, or having sex. And you'll notice up until this week, there was a song by Justin Timberlake that had been on our mix for a long time. It actually came out last summer when the Trolls movie came out because it's on that soundtrack. And it's been on over and over and over again, not because it's in the top seven or the top ten. It's actually in, in the lower 40s or upper 50s of the top songs. But it takes that many songs for us to go through to find a song that has lyrics that are appropriate because so many of the songs we're listening to are about sex. It's in the movies we watch. It's in the TV shows that we watch. The books that our students read, especially if they're reading fiction that's geared towards them, we're, we're finding books that are, are talking about sex. Our students are sitting around lunchroom tables. It's not just the locker room. It's, it's around the lunch table. It's, it's hanging out on a Friday night. And sex is a, a popular topic that teenagers are talking about. And we won't even venture into the world of the internet. Next week, Chris Washington's going to come. He's going to share a message with us called Digital Sex, where we're going to talk about the internet and pornography and sexting and topics like that. But even without the internet, everyone is talking about sex except for the church. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to jump in and talk about this gift that God has given us. And, and our prayer is that it goes out of this room and into your cars and into your homes where you are talking with your family about sex in an appropriate way that, that helps change teenagers' lives. We realize four weeks in here is like, is like a drop out of an eyedropper into an ocean of water. The, four weeks here is not going to, to change the, the current in, in people's lives and in, in our culture. And so, again, this conversation that we start this week with our students, it has to become something that, that is talked about, ongoing. And, and when these four weeks come to an end, that you've got a culture in your home of talking about sexuality and talking about God's plan for it. Now, I want you to understand this. One of the things is we talk about this subject, our, our culture has this idea that uh, the Bible, what the church teaches, this sex ethic that is counter-culture, uh, that, that for some reason the Bible is old-fashioned and, and now we're living in 2017 and in a new world with sexual freedoms and we understand more about sex than we ever have and that the Bible and Christianity and what God would say about it is out of date and old-fashioned because the world's changed. But I want you to know that, that is, that's absolutely not true. The fact that, that we are more sexually free than the world has been in the past is a crazy assumption. I, I don't know if, if you know this, but if you go back to the time when the New Testament was written and, and you read the, the letters of Paul and, and in the times of Jesus, it was a common practice for people to go to worship. And I don't know what day they went, call it Sunday, go to Sunday church. And they would go to a, a temple that was, was made for a pagan God. And part of their act of worship was to have sex with a prostitute. That was how they worshiped, this, this false god. It's, so we're nowhere near that. I mean, yes, 2017 America, the world of sexuality looks a lot different than it did in 1950. 
But we're not going to church to have sex with prostitutes like they did during the, the New Testament times. Today in our culture, we've got sweet 16s and quinceañeras and things like that that celebrate a coming of age. You know that in the Greek culture, it was not uncommon for a young man, his coming of age experience would have been for him to be molested by an adult male. So we're living in a world that, yes, is sexually different. We'll use the word free, even though it's really not freedom. We're sexually free in 2017 than we were in 1950. But we are nowhere close to the sexual ethic that was being expressed by people in the day and age in which the Bible was written. And so I want us to understand that and kind of start there that, that we're not talking old-fashioned. We're talking about the Word of God that was true then in a much crazier world than we have now, and it's just as true now. And what we want to do this week is lean in and talk about the why behind sex so that we can help determine the what of sex. And so that's when we go back to this idea of this proposal at McDonald's. Proposing is great. McDonald's is great. But when you talk about the why, those two things don't match up together. Now, I want to give you a picture in your mind uh, of sex. I want you to think about a power plant, a nuclear power plant. A nuclear power plant is an incredible tool that, that we have. The typical nuclear power plant can supply electricity and, 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 and generate power to 900,000 homes in the course of a year. And that's a great thing. We've got a nuclear power plant just up the road in Glen Rose, Texas. But do you know if that power plant's energy got outside of the boundaries of that power plant where it supplied energy to 900,000 homes, if there was a meltdown, the impact would be on over 2.5 million people. So nuclear power inside, inside its boundaries when it's working the way that it's supposed to work, is a great thing. 900,000 people say this is fantastic. But when it gets outside of its boundaries, it becomes catastrophic for over two and a half million people. And I want you to understand this. Sex is nuclear. It, it's great inside its boundaries. It's a good gift of God. That's why we want you to talk about it. It doesn't have to be a taboo subject. What God made it for and designed it for is a great thing. We ought to talk with our kids about it. But outside of its boundaries, it becomes something that, that, that quite honestly can become disastrous and catastrophic. So we talk about the why. Why did God give us sex? Well, God created sex as an ultimate expression of intimacy between a man and a woman in a forever bond. It, it, it's, it's given to us so that a husband and a wife can experience something together that they don't experience with anyone else. If we go back to the very beginning, we go back to the book of Genesis, I want you to see a little bit of the why. If you'll flip over to Genesis chapter 2, we're going to look at a couple of verses, verses 24 and 25. God has made creation. He's made the sun and the moon and the stars and plants and animals. He's made man. And he's come to the point where he's, he said, hey, it is not good for man to be alone. But, but you realize man wasn't alone. Adam had God. But yet God knew that that vertical relationship between God and man, which was absolutely important, also needed because the way Adam was designed to have this horizontal relationship with another person. And God creates Eve. And we have the very first man and woman. And, and here is what the scripture says in Genesis 2, 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife 
and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, when you were born, when you were conceived, you were conceived with genetic material of both a mother and a father. Your very DNA is connected to the man and woman that helped procreate you. And then you grew inside your mother's womb for nine months or so, living inside her body. And then when you were birthed out, there was actually a connection to her, an umbilical cord, that you stayed connected to her until that umbilical cord was cut. And then for the next nearly two decades, you were raised inside the home of a mother and father. And, and you were taught their values, and you were taught their morals, and, and, and you were you were taught how your family lives, and a lot of who you are today is, is, is based on that. And then along came a pretty girl, or along came a handsome guy. And you, you started looking at, at him or her and started thinking, man, this could be a future, and, and you fell in love. You made a decision to choose marriage, and then you got married and started a brand new family. Now, now think about this for a second. Your DNA comes from your mom and dad. You lived inside your mother. You were physically connected to her at birth. Even after birth, you were connected by pheromones. There were things that God has done biologically to make a a child connect to the mother and also to the father. You you breastfed. You, You were connected to that family. You were in that home for two decades. It would make sense if we thought that we would stay inside that family structure for the rest of our lives. I mean, 20 years of preparing for us to leave. Doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. 20 years of values passed on. 20 years of learning who our family is for all of a sudden for you to leave, connect to your spouse, and start a new family. So what is it? What is it that can overcome all of those things? DNA, values, morals, 20 years of intimate relationship building with your parents. That thing is sex. It's this gift that God has given us for ultimate intimacy between a man and a woman. It's more powerful than even the family bond and the 20 years you spent in your family. And that's why God gave it to you. So that you would meet a a woman, that you'd meet a man and you'd start a family and you'd be so connected to them that you would leave your father and mother and cleave to them, if you talk about the King James version of, uh, of this passage, and become one. Sex is this gift of ultimate intimacy before a, a, a husband and a wife that are in this forever bond. And, and it's so powerful that it overcomes 20 or more years of family raising and genetics. And this, this gift of sex, it, it bonds us physically and it bonds us emotionally. And it, there's a spiritual component to it. It, it. it bonds us spiritually. And so It's meant for a lifelong commitment. It's not to be experimented with with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's it's something that is so precious and so powerful that it needs to be kept within its boundaries. That's why I say sex is nuclear. Now, intimacy, this ultimate intimacy is so powerful that the Scripture says that, that that man and woman were both naked and they were not ashamed. There is a full exposure in a healthy marriage, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, all of those connections. And and, and sex is a key 
to that. Now, I want you to go from Genesis over to Ephesians 5 because Paul writes a letter to the churches in Ephesus, and he actually quotes this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So in your Bibles, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. That passage, Paul is is talking about marriage. And he talks to wives, and he talks a lot longer to husbands. And as he kind of concludes that discussion to husbands and wives, in verse 31 and 32, he quotes this passage from Genesis. And here's what he says. This is Ephesians 5, 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying, here it is, that it refers to Christ in the church. So Paul's talking about marriage. He's talking about husbands and wives and, and, and how they love each other well. And then he says to us, he says, hey, I want you to understand this. And even though I don't understand it all, it's a, it's a mystery. The picture of a husband and wife loving each other is the best picture that the world has of how Jesus Christ loves his church. That's why, that's why he leans into husbands and he gives them this, this plea to, to love your wives well because the way you love your wife paints a picture to your neighbors. It paints a picture to your children. It paints a picture to the people all around you of how Jesus loves his church. And so when we don't love our wives well, we say to the world, Jesus doesn't love his church well, which is absolutely not the case. Jesus has this covenant relationship with his, with his people, with his church. And so does a husband and a wife. It's a bond that's not broken. It's a bond that is, that is ultimately intimate. And so sex given to us, one, to bond us between a husband and a wife in a forever relationship, but it also gives us a picture of the type of relationship, this ultimately intimate relationship that Jesus has with the church. And you need to hear me when I say this. Jesus doesn't sleep around. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is loving. Jesus has your best interests at heart because he loves you as his children. And so when we play around with sex, when we take it outside of its boundaries, what we do is we, we do damage to the marriage relationship. And when we do damage to the marriage relationship, we do damage in our, in our culture to the reputation of Jesus Christ. This is an important thing to understand, the why behind sex. When we look at one more passage of Scripture, it's in Hebrews chapter 13. And then we won't be bouncing around. I want to read you this, and you'll see a little bit more of the why. In Hebrews 13, the writer's giving us a list of things that, that a believer should have in their life or a believer they should do. He says, you should have brother, let brotherly love continue. He says, not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers. In verse four, he says this, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. He says, let the marriage bed be undefiled or to be pure is what that word says. Now here's what's something really cool. That word pure, undefiled, is used a couple other times in the New Testament. In one of those places, it's actually used to describe Jesus himself. In another passage, it's used to, to describe what our heavenly treasure is going to be like. It's a heavy word. It, it, it's used to paint Jesus, what our future heaven's like, and what our marriage bed should be like. It should be undefiled. It should be perfect. You may 
You may say, I don't, I don't have a marriage bed right now. I'm, I'm a teenager. But you do. It's out in your future, and it's there, and it's meant to be pure before you get there. It's meant to be pure while you're there. It's meant to be pure in this forever bond that you have with your spouse. And sex is a serious thing. It's a great thing. But it's a serious thing, a powerful thing. It's nuclear. Scripture says this, though. I want you to understand this. Look in verse 4. He says, And God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So we're not just talking about uh, adultery after you're married. God is going to judge the sexually immoral. That word, that Greek word there for sexually immoral is the word pornos. And, and you know what English word we get from that word, pornos. And it tells you everything that you need to know. God is going to judge that type of action and lifestyle because it is not doing what it was created to do. Ultimate intimacy between a husband and a wife in a forever bond. So, so what? So we understand the why, why it's been given to us. It's given us to, to make children, procreation, but also in this special relationship. Well, when we understand the why, it helps us understand the what. And that's one of the questions teenagers ask a lot is how far is too far? And we want to know what we can do, what, what actually constitutes sex. What can I do that would keep me in, in right relationship with God and, and what do I not want to do that would, would be sinful? And, and because sex is so powerful, we, we ask those questions because we really want to know, we want to experience as much as we can, as soon as we can. But once we understand the why, it helps us explain the what. We know that it's meant for a husband and wife, that it's meant to, to, to bond us intimately like nobody else. It helps us really get a picture of what is appropriate, what's not. And we'll talk about that, but we, here's kind of the takeaway You've got to decide now what those boundaries are. Because one day, years from now, you're going you're to meet your forever love. But between now and then, there, there's going to be some really nice guys and girls you meet. Some of them are going to be attractive. You're going you're to think maybe this could be the one, and, and you're going to enter into a dating relationship. But, but here's the truth. Every relationship that you're in is going to end in one of two ways. You're either, one, going to break up, or two, you're going to get married. So more than likely, most of the relationships you're in now, many that you might be in, are going to end with a breakup and not marriage. And so because of that, we've got to understand what our boundaries are now so that that nuclear level of sex stays within its boundaries so that it is used for our, our future husband, our future wife, and it is not abused in a destructive manner outside of that relationship. But once you start dating somebody and you're in love and you want to be connected to them and, and you, you, you now love them more than your friends, you, you are going to be moving towards sexual expression. And, and at that time, it is too late in the game to figure out what your boundaries are. So you got to decide even now, tonight, this week, what those boundaries are. So let me help you process that some. Because I do not want there to be any confusion. And, and I'm going to say some things that might make you a little bit uncomfortable. I'm trying to say them in, in the most gentle way. But, but some things just have to be said. And here it is. If what you're doing with a boyfriend or a girlfriend ends in sexual release or is intended to end in sexual release, it is outside the boundaries. If you're, 
If your relationship is doing things that causes sexual arousal or is intended to cause sexual arousal, it's outside the boundaries. Because sex, arousal, release, the whole package was given to us for ultimate intimacy for someone that we're in a forever bond with. So those things are not supposed to create intimacy for someone that is going to end in a breakup. So if you're not tracking, let me just, let me give you this. I mean, just think you can be safe. The scripture doesn't give us, you know, the Ten Commandments of dating. But if you're going further than kissing in your relationship, yeah, I, you, you're outside of those bounds. I, I, I don't know of anything else that doesn't, anything past that that doesn't create sexual arousal or meant to. And even for some of you in the room, if kissing leads you that direction, you need to set your boundaries there. That, that, that's just a safety measure. But, but I want us to not just, just bank on a safety measure. I want to ask you a few questions that will help you define that boundary, maybe even more. And, and I want to use the passage of Scripture that we just talked about. We talked about Genesis 2, a husband and a wife. They were naked and they were unashamed. They had ultimate intimacy, so there was nothing hidden. There was no shame. So, so is it possible that if you're doing something with your boyfriend or a girlfriend, that if your mom or your dad or your grandma walked in and saw you doing, if it created any shame in you, if it created a red flag of, oh, this is a bit embarrassing, maybe you need to readjust your boundaries. Now, Hebrews 13, we just read this passage. It says, keep the marriage bed pure. Let me ask you this. If, if you're married one day, and someone is doing something with your spouse that you're doing with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you would not want them to do it with your spouse, then maybe you need to adjust your boundaries because that boyfriend or girlfriend that you have now is someone else's future spouse, and they have a marriage bed. So I'll tell you where I'm at. I've been married 17 years. I'm not real interested and another man coming along and kissing my wife. That, that, would, that would bother me. That might cause a physical confrontation. Because that's my wife. And our relationship of ultimate intimacy is different than everybody else's that, that I've had with, with other people. And so I, I don't want somebody coming in and kissing her. That's an intimate thing. And so what I'm going to suggest to you is that if you wouldn't want that to happen, maybe you need to change your boundaries now. And I know, I know there's some of you and it's parents that push back against that and they go, oh, that's crazy. That, that's, a little, that's a little legalistic. That's a little bit too far because dating's fun and dating's great and, and kissing is harmless. It doesn't hurt anybody. And my question is, who says? Who, sa who says that kissing is okay? I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying let's go to the scripture. Who says kissing is okay? Is it our culture? Because if it's our culture that, that we're leaning into to set our boundaries, we've got more problems than we started with. Go to the Word of God. The Word of God does not give us this, this black and white answer on kissing or things like that. But it gives us some scripture, some passages that tell us about sex, tell us the why behind it and what it's intended for. And that can help us understand the what because we understand the why. Now, if you're uncomfortable with that, that's good. You should be. You ought to wrestle with Scripture. You ought to wrestle with it and, 
and, and, and it ought to stretch you and change you. And it ought to make you, if you're living a world lined up with culture, it ought to make you different and uncomfortable. Here's the second thing. We've got to decide our boundaries now, define them. And we've got to have conversations often. We've got to start talking about sex. We've got to be able to talk about sex with our parents. Not in a weird way. It's a good gift of God to be able to talk about it. We've got to be able to honestly talk about it with our friends. Again, not, not in a way that causes them to sin or causes them to lust or causes them to, to go places their minds shouldn't go. But we ought to be able to talk about it in the way God has gifted it and it'd be okay. We ought to be able to talk about it with our boyfriend or girlfriend. If you've defined your boundaries and you decide to date somebody, you better be talking about it. You better be saying, hey, here are the boundaries that I have. Yeah, and, and not just a one-time thing like, hey, when we start dating, I want you to know because you're both going to forget that. You need to talk about it on a regular basis to check yourselves and make sure that you're staying within the boundaries that are healthy and safe, not just physically, not just so you don't get diseases or pregnant or things like that, but so that your future relationship with your spouse that you're in a forever bond with will be ultimately intimate. And at the same time, that you stay in a right relationship with God who created you. Do you know they did a study in Brazil, Sao Paulo, where they interviewed over 1,200 men and women about marriage. And do you know that one out of four, only one out of four, expected their spouse to be faithful to them? 75% of the people in the interview fully expected that their husband or wife would cheat on them at some time in the future. And when they did the research a little bit deeper, they discovered that 63% of the men and 23% of the women already had. 63% of the men, 23% of the women had already had an affair and cheated on the person they were supposed to be ultimately intimate with. You know, guys, there is a better way. There's a better way than that. There's a better way that comes from the, the consequences of sexual sin, and it's God's plan. And once we understand the why, that it was given to us for ultimate intimacy, we can then define the what, and then we can start crafting our lives to live, to be lived out in the way that God has designed it to be lived. Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about pornography and sexting. We're going to talk about temptation. How do we deal with it? And for some of you in the room, I know in a room this size that there are people who have already crossed the boundary. Their sex life became a nuclear meltdown. We're going to talk about how to recover. What do you do so that you can be right with God and right with your future spouse? Let's pray.